Welcome to Gritty Girls, the podcast. I'm Jillian Christie, and my passion and calling is really all about helping as many women realize that they have a scalable superpower, grit. If you're into hearing from badass, world-class women who just happen to be top chefs, athletes, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, artists, and activists on how they achieve their loftiest goals despite their greatest life challenges, then you don't want to miss the Gritty Girls podcast. Your journey to get inspired by phenomenal women around the globe and to learn how to cultivate more grit in your life starts now. So much of life is about showing up, as entrepreneur and founder of Future of Women, Hallie Applebaum claims. And it's definitely a principle she lives by, even if that means showing up unannounced in an unfamiliar city during torrential downpour at the door of a company who had recently declined her employment, so she may state her case for reconsideration. Showing up and persistence are all a part of Hallie's grit factor. And during the following convo, she lets us in on what it takes to be the future woman you dream to be. It has a lot to do with following your curiosity, even if that takes place in the after hours of your nine to five. Hey, Miss Hallie. <laughs> How, are, girl. How are you? I'm good. It's been far too long. Two days, like on the My- dot. I love the artwork behind you. What is that? Oh, thank you. Um, that's a that's a spaceman spacesuit, like vintage ish. It's not mine, but <laughs> I love it too. That's why I framed cool. it. Like <laughs> it's good. It's beautiful here. <laughs> yes, oh, I know. Um, I'm so jealous. It's it's really really nice to be home. So I, Hallie, first met you at an event in Utah where we actually talked a lot about the future of women, your, your brand. Um, and we got to talk about that across disciplines. You know, we had chefs, we had entrepreneurs, all the things, and, and we'll get into all that fun stuff. Um, but you and I really bonded over, we were going to start composting. <laughs> we, watched a, we watched a documentary out there that was really cool. And we were both like, oh, I'm so committed. I'm going to go home. I'm going to plant like tomato seeds. I'm going to compost. I'm going to do all these things. And we were going to keep each other accountable. I just wanted to let you know, I have not done that. I'm so Me sorry. neither. <laughs> Me neither. It remains a, a goal. <laughs> it's a goal. It's a goal, but maybe we can, we can kind of reestablish that goal. You know, I don't know how my tomatoes will turn out in Phoenix in the summer, but so tell me about your childhood. You grew up in Maine. What a gorgeous state. Uh, you have how many siblings? Four or five? Um, yeah, I'm the oldest of four. Um, we're Amazing. three girls and a boy. And we grew up spending a lot of time outside. Uh, my mom in the winter, I think, just to get some peace and quiet. You, do you know those um, um, uh, like lifesaver, the gummy lifesavers? Yes. So yes like the stick of them? definitely do. Yeah. She would give, because <laughs> we're all fairly close in age, and she would give each of us one of those sticks. And she would shut the front door and say, like, go, go play and come back in a few hours. And so we would all like waddle out there with like our little like gummy sticks and we would go build snow forts and ah. we would take jugs of, um, of water out there and make jumps in the snow and ice them over, continue to pack it down. And so there was like the science to it. Um, right. And I, I think what that has meant years later is that 
I, I love spending time outside. And I think I have this different relationship with, with the outdoors. Um, like I love to hike and, and run and swim and um, yeah. And I, th I think a lot of that started at a young age, um, spending time outside doing sports during school. Like I ran cross country and, and track and played lacrosse and soccer. And I ran cross country. <laughs> I, I played I, soccer. I, I was that. an awful soccer player, but I ran really well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, my, like my people were like the cross country people. I yeah. felt like it felt so pure being in the woods, running through it, um, there, it just felt so pure. And to this day, that's like my happy place is, mm. is running on trails. I love that. And I totally resonate with it. And I have a question for you. Do you remember what women want the movie with Helen Hunt? Yeah. You know, she's like this big ad, you know, executive. Mm -hmm. First of all, when I was younger, I was like, I want to be her when I grow up. But also she did this amazing ad for I think Nike or something mm -hmm. in the film Women. yeah and it's just no music just I want to hear the sound of my feet beating the pavement and I was like yes as a <laughs> runner like you love that sound you know you definitely need music a lot of the times depending on how far you're running but it's definitely it's a it's such a it's such a beautiful like grounding way to like get back to yourself you know mm -hmm. especially in a place like Maine I can only imagine how beautiful the, like, yeah it, it feels those trails it feels very pure um mm -hmm. and and re, I mean I've tried other sports and there's nothing that clears my mind like that so that's how I start most days wherever I am um, and being in California in recent years has been great because I've done like half marathons and I've done triathlons and it's just um, really good people, you know, um, yeah. being around people um, that are doing those types of things. But it's so funny that you say that you saw that movie and thought and thought like, wow, like that's like that's a, that's something that I'd like to be when I grow up. I think it's really I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what we know about the options for when we grow up, because mm -hmm. most likely it's maybe seeing um, what the people around you do, what, what older siblings do, what parents do. And we see that as the options. And I always thought it would be so amazing to have a take your friend to work day because even our closest friends, we don't actually know how they spend a lot of their time. We might know vaguely what industry mm -hmm. they work in, but we don't know the details. And I remember um, watching um, Julia Roberts in my best friend's wedding um, years ago, like when I was a kid and it's the beginning scene, she's a food critic and they're sitting at this table, the waiter's bringing out her dish and she's cutting into it in the background. You can see the entire back of house, um, kitchen staff, like all in the, the peephole looking out to the dining room and she cuts into it and she says, I'm writing it up as delectable and, and whatnot. And, and I looked at that and I thought that that is an option. Like we That's can, an option. I, I can taste food for a living. You <laughs> like, know, it's, how do it's, I get to do that? That's so, it's such a, a wise epiphany too, to have when you're young, because I think a lot of us don't have that until we're out of college even, right? Mm -hmm. I think, especially in our, our generation, we grew up thinking, okay, you could be a doctor, um, a fireman, a police officer, you know, and th there's these staples of, mm -hmm. of, occupations, if you will. And you realize once you're out in the real world, there are so many options. You can literally do and be anything because it is, you know, needed. And 
And if you can do it, it's probably wanted also. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I would love to taste food for a living. <laughs> I mean, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the, the different industries that people work in, but also how the education system is connected to that. And I mm. think the way that we educate right now is, is often, okay, like go take, the, take your math class and your science class and your history class. And rather than making, rather than inspiring kids to think, oh, I want to be a soccer player when I grow up, or I want to be a fireman when I grow up, or I want to be a nurse when I grow up, or, and working towards, towards each of those goals and thinking, okay, well, if I want to be a writer when I grow up, I should really pay attention in English class. Or mm-hmm. if I want to be a scientist when I grow up, I should pay attention to my math class. Um, totally, and I, totally. And I think starting future of women and the even things that I did before that grew out of that curiosity around how do people spend their time? So, uh, okay. Yes. Yes. And we need to talk all about that, but I, you have such an interesting, you know, kind of beginning of your, your professional life too. So let's go back. You, you went to school, you studied economics, right? And then you went to the, was it, did you go to the world bank first or you went to IBM? So I, um, I did my undergrad in economics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really interested in understanding why different parts of the world um, uh, develop socioeconomically different than other parts of the world. And that interest really grew out of taking a gap year between high school and college. And I went to live in Ecuador. Oh, and um, my, my grandmother's first language was Spanish. And um, in an effort to Americanize, like quote unquote, Americanize my mom and her siblings, my grandmother and grandfather didn't teach their kids Spanish. And I have always thought that that was such a missed opportunity oh, um, wow. because you're, you're missing out on your entire culture. Mm-hmm. And so um, when it came time to go to university, I deferred admission and moved to Ecuador. I lived in the Andes, lived with this wonderful, amazing host family. We became so close, in fact, that my host sisters moved back um, to my house at the end of my year there. They came home with me. <laughs> amazing. Um, so, yeah, so that they amazing. could, they, they had heard about my life the entire year, right, in the context yeah. of living with them. And, and so this was an opportunity for them now to come to kind of flip the table. Um, and so what, I mean, what inspired you to kind of like, what made you think, I want to know why, is it because of your grandparents you, and you knew where they were from and how that country was a lot different than where you lived? Yeah, I wanted to learn Spanish. Um, and uh, my great aunt was a tra- travel agent. And I asked her, I said, okay, where, if I, if I wanted to learn Spanish, where would you recommend I go? And she mentioned all these different countries. And she said, but, but Ecuador, I really love Ecuador. So at the same time that I was applying for university, I applied for a program to go there. And, and then when I got into each, I deferred admission to university and, um, and went and moved to Ecuador. And so I was living in the Andes for a year and that just opened up this whole new world where, I was there with eight other students from different parts of the world. Um, there was one other American. We made a pact that we wouldn't speak any English for the entire year, and we kept it. Wow. And what that allowed us to do is really integrate into the culture. It allowed us to integrate into the other group of exchange students rather than kind of isolating ourselves. 
Um, and I was enrolled in a high school there, um, which, which kind of gave me like a social outlet, um, even though I'd already graduated in the States. And, um, and then we spent the year also traveling to different parts of, of Ecuador. Um, there were some physicians that came from the States that needed translators. They were orthopedic surgeons. And so I went and translated for them. Um, that was uh, about halfway, two thirds of the way through my year. Um, and that opened up a whole other um, area of opportunity because there was very specific language that I needed to learn, right? That was like medical terminology. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was just this year that like really expanded my horizon. Since by the time I got to, got to university, I thought, okay, I want to study um, something around either anthropology or soci sociology or economics. Um, and I ended up studying economics and became really interested in development econ, also in behavioral econ, like why do we do mm -hmm. the things that we do? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what I did in college. And each summer I would get grants to go back to either Ecuador or I went to Guatemala, the public health professor at my university um, was leading an ethnographic study there on um, smoking and a new smoking ban that had been implemented, which was really progressive at the time because there were many places um, in the world that still didn't have, yeah. have regulations around smoking in indoors. Um, and so went there. And then when I graduated, I worked in banking um, initially because that's, it was 2010. That's what a lot of econ majors were doing. But I knew on my first day, I actually was driving home and, um, and I, I, I called my parents bawling and I said, like, this isn't for me. Um, I was wearing a suit, which like made me very uncomfortable. And they're like, Hallie, stick with it. Um, and, and so I did for two years and, and it was very not me, but I didn't know what else you could kind of go out there and do within and how did you get that job like did you yeah so it, it was traditional it was of, let me go interview and yeah yeah it felt so <laughs> so stiff I hated it um but it was it was one of those um pro like uh programs where um, um kind of these like graduate scheme programs um where there's like kind of an incoming class of analysts and I was um I was working within it's boring. I was working within brokerage doing analytics and looking at how financial advisors were managing like high net worth clients. And it just wasn't a fit for me spending my days in Excel. Um, and because I, I, I just started like spending my time then reading every, everything in the news, right? Like I would finish my work at work and then I would spend the rest of my day reading like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, The Economist. I just would like check them all off. And I started noticing that I was gravitating towards the tech section, towards the section about entrepreneurs. Mm. And so this was now see, like... See, now that is important to point out because sometimes the boredom of something or the something that doesn't fit just right for us mm -hmm. is the catalyst for the other things that are to come. And, you know, they kind of, they push us and... and like you said, you, you had all this free time now. You can read all the, the different entrepreneurial, you know, things that were actually interesting you. If mm -hmm. you had even, even, you know, a marginally more exciting job, maybe you wouldn't have been doing that. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're completely right. Um, I was miserable at the time. But looking back, I'm so grateful for that period of misery because mm. it really did catapult me into writing, writing like my grad school application and applying to jobs. And so 
I, the day I got into grad school, um, and I didn't even apply to, I applied to one grad school. It was where I wanted to go. And I thought, if I don't get in, I'll go do something different. I applied to that. And I also applied to this startup that was in San Francisco because all the news that I was reading about was coming out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I just want to be there. And I remember I was based in St. Louis at the time. And I remember there was this women's tech event that was happening on Valentine's Day in San Francisco. And I remember telling my sister about it. And she's like, Hallie, let me get this straight. You want to go to San Francisco where you know nobody and you want to spend Valentine's Day at this essentially like networking event with all these other women. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> and maybe and, I'll, maybe I'll meet someone like, I, I, who I, loves I, the same thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and at the time though, I didn't have I, I was close, right? Like I knew what I wanted. I had looked at all like what I needed to do to, to, to like be at, in San Francisco on this date, but I didn't have it in me yet to just like do it mm. and to be like, fuck it. Let me just like go. Yeah. And so when I, the day I got into grad school, I gave notice at work. You got in. I got in. I got in. <laughs> And I um, had, there was a job that I wanted in San Francisco with this startup called Samasource. Um, and it is, was founded by Lila Jana, who was very forward thinking in social entrepreneurship. What does it look like to leverage tech and entrepreneurship for the purposes of economic development? And so she was mm-hmm. at the intersection of the tech world, the social impact world. Um, and and so I went out there, I had applied, I got an interview and ultimately they said, I'm sorry, like we, we can't offer you the job. And so instead I flew out there and told them I'm in town. I'd like to meet. <laughs> I just happened to be in town. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, oh, like, hey, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> and I went to their office and I said, look, like I'm going to grad school in a few months. I'm going to study international development. I would love to come and work for you guys for the next three months. Like, will you have me? And they finally said, yes. Wait a second. Hold up. That, that's pretty courageous. I mean, how old were you at the time? Um, maybe 21? Uh, maybe like 23 or so. 20, okay. And yeah. you're like, this, I'm going to do this thing. You know, I, I remember ringing, ringing the buzzer for their building and it was raining outside in San Francisco. It was rainy. And I thought, oh, like I'm showing up all like kind of like splotchy, right? Because it's, it's raining outside. And I'm basically like knocking on their jo- door saying like, give, I, you guys already refused me. I'd like to discuss it. <laughs> um, pl- like, let's talk. So they, they ultimately said, like, come join us. Um, you you do understand this is a scene from a movie, right? <laughs> a scene from a movie, and it just goes to show how persistence is key in in really getting what you want, and and always you know kind of asking for what you want because you'll never get it if you don't ask. And then exactly. the step further is the persistence. And I mean, just for good measure, throwing in the fact that you were so young, we have this like young, fearless, like, ah, what's the worst that could happen, right? So I think it's it's especially important to seize that when you are young and when you have all that in you, you know? And, and I didn't know anyone out there. Um, I, yeah, I just flew out there and, and I remember thinking, okay, great, I'll be right back. And I went back to St. Louis, packed up my car and drove um, from St. Louis to San Francisco. Um, 
I bet and that was super hectic too. And you made it sound like, oh, okay, I'll be right back. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, ha- you, ha- you have to, you have to say like, oh, like I'll, I'll be right back. No worries. <laughs> cool, um, calm, collected. Little cool, calm. Yeah. But what that was, I feel like a pivotal moment for me in, in, in seeing that like, yeah, if you, so much of life is about showing up. And when people say no, um, kind of taking that with a grain of salt, um, and, and in, in the end, yes, I ended up going to San Francisco and working for them and basically creating my own job because I said, let me like, let's create something for these next three months. And so that exposed me to San Francisco. And all of a sudden I was around these really out of the box thinkers, um, and then went to London and was doing a degree in international development. And I went to class and I did my assignments, but really was spending the bulk of my time getting to know the entrepreneurship, the tech scene in London and Berlin and understanding what venture capital looked like there, what types of industries people were focused on there, because I was very interested in this idea of how could we use tech and entrepreneurship for the purposes of economic development, going back to my my development um, roots. And people weren't doing this at the time, weren't looking at how you could leverage technology for development. And I remember going to job interviews and they're like, we like don't know what you're talking about. And I became obsessed with it. Like, wow. like I, I was going to all of these different events around London that, that were, were with entrepreneurs or with tech companies. And I just became totally obsessed. And what that meant is by the time that I graduated grad school, um, I was introduced to someone at the world bank and through very short conversations, uh, went to kind of be the right-hand person for the head of innovation for the World Bank because he was very, he had come from Google and was very interested in how you could use tech for international development. Amazing. And what, about what year was this or time frame? This, uh, so I was in grad school 2012, 2013. Oh, wow. And okay. so then I moved to DC in 2013. Head of innovation. Amazing. For, for World Bank, no big deal. Um, so you were at the World Bank, I know, for a few years, at least a couple years mm-hmm. before you decided, you know what, like, I want to take all of this. I love, like, the economy. I love entrepreneurship. I'm a woman. I'm a strong woman. Um, I want to bring all of that together. And then, of course, your your anecdote of tasting food for a living, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it came, you, you it came back all of the, <laughs> full circle, full circle. So you brought all this together to, to launch, uh, this incredible brand, um, called the future of women. And, and you've taken it around the world. You, uh, you bring in guest chefs and, and you have phenomenal women sitting in a round or a long table having conversations. Can you tell us more kind of like what inspired you into Mm -hmm. that? And then, um, yeah, just take it away. love. Yeah. So the genesis of that was at the time I was working for the world bank, um, which is an organization that provides financial and, um, support and capacity development to different countries for projects around economic development. And so I was on a team that focused on tech and innovation and my clients, the clients, when you're working there are national governments. And so my clients were the Lebanese government, um, the Colombian government and the government in Trinidad and Tobago. And so I was spending my time 
kind of zooming between those different places and um, uh, where I would have kind of one foot in in government where you're meeting with the ministries of education, the ministries of science and technology. And the, my other foot was in the world of entrepreneurs. It was literally my job to go spend time with these entrepreneurs to understand what did they need? Like what were their challenge areas? And to think about how government could um, support entrepreneurs needs. And in that process, I started to meet all of these really incredible young entrepreneurs, but in particular women, whose stories I didn't feel like were being told. And I felt like I had unique access to understand and get introduced to like the local culture through these women's eyes. And I felt very fortunate to have that. So for example, a um, DJ in Paris would say, hey, I'm spinning tonight, come hang out. Or a chef in Lebanon would say, I'm cooking tonight, come join us. And, and I got to, or, or an entrepreneur in Colombia would say, hey, come on an early morning hike in the Andes with me. And that's how I was getting to see their cult- the cultures. And I felt like we live in this world where um, I think so often we think of, of anyone outside of our culture, outside of our city as the other. And it's, it's just, it's ignorance, right? Like we're not familiar with what it is to be in other places or to be from other backgrounds. And I thought, okay, what about if I can provide a way, like a storytelling platform to tell women's stories from these different places? Um, And so what I started doing while I was still at the World Bank is kind of the one week I was home per month, (laughs) I would invite girlfriends over to my house to have a potluck dinner. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this in DC, let's make it themed and let me call up girlfriends in different cities around the world and invite them to do these parallel dinners. And so what that grew into is over a period of five months, we hosted um, 40 dinners across 12 countries. And so we were hosting these dinners everywhere from Dubai to Amsterdam to Mexico City to Toronto. And we were all talking about the same themes. And sometimes those were themes like travel or other times they were themes like health and wellness or other times they were themes like sexuality. And it was fascinating to wake up in the morning to WhatsApp messages from all of these different dinners that were happening more or less in parallel to hear, okay, what do the Berlin women think about sexuality versus mm. the Dubai women versus the so San Francisco it's women? It's almost, it's almost like a, a cultural um, clashing with, you know, different topics of, of humanity, really. Um, it's so amazing. It's, it, it was, it's super incredible. And I mean, it seems like it's just, it's very seamless and it all came together just like very serendipitously. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, there was, there was like a lot of internal battle around. Um, and it's, it's funny, my roommate at the time, she knows the, the behind the scenes of it. It was very hard for me to leave what, what felt to me like um, a more traditional job and a more traditional world to something that was very unknown. I was spending my nights and weekends coordinating these dinners with all of these different women. And I loved it so much and thought, okay, I want to go do this full time, but what am I a, a professional dinner host or like, like, what am I doing? How do I have an income from, for, from that? And it, it felt like a really hard breakup um, mm-hmm. where there's nothing 
wrong, but it's just like not right anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there were lots of tears um, mm. during that process trying Did you- to say goodbye. Totally saying goodbye to your, 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 your economic world, like your stable economics, um, position. Did you do that right away or how long did, did you kind of flirt over the line? You know, both. um, I probably flirted over the line for probably like six months to a year. Wow. Um, and, and it ultimately got to the point where I, I was like, I can't board another flight. Like I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm craving like a personal life. I'm craving like actually living in the apartment where I'm paying rent. Mm. Um, and, and, and I mean, if you want to talk about grit, I think, um, it was very scary to go into the unknown. And it was also scary to do that, um, in a family where I felt like I'm one of four siblings and Mm -hmm. each of them had pursued a route that felt much clearer than what I was doing. Um, and I think whether it's judgment that I put on myself or judgment that that was also put on me, um, it was a very scary thing to do. And you think as a, as like the el- the oldest of, of all your siblings, you're, they look up to you, you're the role model. Um, even your parents, I'm sure. I mean, I think that's just kind of, um, you know, implicit of the, of the oldest, I guess, but that it, it can be, super rough. I, I would love to hear, you know, how did you make the leap? And, and clearly like that, and we'll go back to the other things, but how did you make the leap? And at what age were you now when you're like, I'm going to do this? Here we go. Like, I love this. This is my passion. Yeah. It's funny. I think a lot of people, you know, you have this crisis when you're turning different ages and I didn't have a crisis at 30, but this was age 28 when all of this was mm-hmm. happening, right? I had a crisis thinking, okay, I'm almost 29, which is almost 30. And is and this I Saturn have... Returns stuff? Is yes. that what it's called? Yes. I think so. Yes. <gasps> yeah, <I love> those <laughs> and days. and and I just kind of blew up my life. Mm. I I moved out of my place. Um, actually, I my parents had to move me out of my place um, because I just, wow. I, I like couldn't, I couldn't anymore. I was having a hard time and um, they've been super supportive and um, I, I blew up my life. I, I sat down with my old boss and I said, I think there are ideas that I want to pursue that I need to go outside to pursue. And he said, I think you're absolutely right. He's like, some of the ideas that you want to pursue, like as a larger institution, we're not ready for. Mm. And so, and so we, we part, we parted ways and I thanked him for my time there. And I spent, I I went to New York for a little while, um, Mm. which will actually first I traveled um, for a little bit. And a friend told me, so I, I went to Paris, I booked a one-way flight to Paris. And, um, my friend that I was staying with told me I had just blown up my life. And she said, um, in trying to put pieces back together, you have to do kind of like one at a time. You can't try to put everything back together at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you have to kind of have like a fixed point, say for example, where, do, where you live, and then you build other parts on top of that. You need, you need like a build, like a foundation and to build from that. 
Exactly. Exactly. So you can't be solving for all these different variables at the same time. Where do I live? What work do I do? Um, who do I spend time with? And so I, and you weren't uh, making money from this endeavor off the bat. So you left, you left income and your, your parents moved you out of your place, but you knew like, this is, this is something, you know, this Mm -hmm. is going to be an incredible thing. Um, so yeah, tell, tell me more. What did you start with? What so, was your starting block? So I thought, okay, this friend's right. And I thought maybe what I'm craving is, is a city like New York. People love it. Let me go try it out. And so I went and tried it out for three months and I went there in fall and it was very beautiful, but I, it wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for, um, being able to spend time outside. I was looking mm-hmm. for like a lot of nature and, um, I happened to go to Los Angeles for New Year's and I was like, what is this sunshine? <laughs> Every, everyone is, and everyone is doing something creative. Maybe this is a good place for me to build what I have in mind, which I don't really know totally what that is, <laughs> but this women's storytelling platform, I was really curious about the film world and how could you use the kind of the microphone that is Hollywood or the film industry to tell some of these women's stories that I'd been hearing at dinners and, and on my travels. I wanted to give voice to, to the women and and their stories. And I thought, okay, maybe this city and this industry is a way to do that. And so I packed up my bags and and moved to Los Angeles. Um, and this was um, January 2017. I first went to Sundance and I worked at Sundance as a volunteer because it's very expensive to attend. And, and I didn't know anyone um, in film. Um, and so by volunteering there, they gave you passes to some of the films, but it also gave you people to be with. Right. And so I was working at the different awards parties and getting to learn, okay, what is a producer? What is a director? (laughs) Like, how do you, how do you make film? Um, just by literally I was, I was spending time hanging their coats and, um, then moved to Los Angeles and then spent the past few years building, um, a women's storytelling platform. And that took the form of hosting events Um, and I started partnering with different media outlets who wanted to tell the, the, their editorial through in-person experiences. I think our generation really wants to, rather than spending money on things, wants to spend money on experiences. Totally. And so I started talking to different media outlets that were publishing content around design, around food, around politics around human rights, thinking about how can we create these events where people are learning about these different topics. And so I remember- It's it's so important. Um, You know, we kind of glossed over the optics of the two films we brought up. We saw these incredible women, you know, doing these really out of the box, amazing things. Um, And that's essentially like what what we do with Gritty Girls and what you do with Future of Women is we're, we're helping people see, you know, what the world can look like through the eyes of the women already doing it and, and succeeding mm-hmm. and uh, living through their passion and, and having, you know, the, for with, you know, the foresight to do all the things. And, and 
to your point, it's so important to share them. That's what, you know, if we're not sharing them, um, they, they may not have that moment, that um, what women want moment or Helen Hunt moment or Julia Roberts moment. You know, they may not have that aha, oh, I can do that. That's an option. Um, so I love, I love that, especially, you know, putting kind of a, a wider frame on it with all the media partners and all the things. And that's only been a few years in the making. And you, I think it's, you've reached over a million people in your audience. Mm. Like, and how, how is that? Is that through all the media, you know, coupled with the live events? Um, yeah, that's, the, all of our events are done in partnership with the media outlet in partnership with women who are leaders in certain industries. Um, every event that we do has a theme, whether that is politics or human rights or journalism or cannabis or um, um, architecture. And we partner with women-led brands that are in that space as well um, to really be a platform for women's stories. Everything from the female chef that we partner with to the women attending to the female speakers panel to the brands that are represented at their tables um, so that, that every I, part of the experience is a platform for what women are creating. I love that. And it's, yeah, it's very entrepreneurial forward, clearly very, you know, um, female forward um, and culturally too, culturally speaking, like through the lens of culture and, and uh, the feminine, which I absolutely love. Clearly, we love that. Um, but I, I want to kind of go back a little bit now, because here you are, you're doing it. It's amazing. It's incredible. I so um, admire the brand and what you're doing around the world. Um, you had that, that like wild year, you know, that year that you needed to really get through where you were having that difficult time. When would you say that your, your grit you know, when did it develop? It didn't develop at 28 or maybe it did. Maybe it, it developed when you were younger. I mean, clearly you went, you marched right up to San Francisco in the pouring rain, um, you know, pounding on the doors. So where did you get that? Where, where would you say you developed that? I think it was through surrounding myself with people who were doing similar things. Mm -hmm. um, because I saw that they were taking these really big leaps of faith and it made it seem a bit more possible for me. So I, I, think, yeah. I think something that I always tell younger people is to really surround yourself with people you admire. Because, I mean, they, they have that saying that like the five people you spend the most time with kind of like you're, you're the average of them or you're the, the representative of, of you. Um, I think it was by spending time with people that were doing really bold things. I thought, okay, well, my thing isn't so bold. And I remember one time, talking to someone about something that I was planning and they're like, Oh no, no, you're thinking too small. You have to do it five times bigger. And I thought, Oh, okay. I have to do it five times bigger. Oh um, yeah. So it's so important. So and, and you can't, yeah, you can't drive that home enough. It's, it's so important. The people you surround yourself with. And I know we all hear that all the time, but until it clicks and until you're actually, you know, kind of activating it, um, you'll see a difference in your life. 100% because you'll have the people around you encouraging you and telling you, nope, too small. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's go bigger. Mm -hmm. um, have, did you ever like in that year, I don't know if that was like a year and a half time span where you, you blew up your life, as you say, you um, 
you're starting out on this, this venture for future of women, you're not making income. Did you ever have a moment where you're like, what am I doing? I can't do this for a living. (laughs) Well, so it was, yeah, it was, it was more like a period of like two and a half years. It was, it was a long time. And it, it was very scary because it was so, it was, I was so clear in what I wanted to create. I wanted to create initially. Well, if, if we rewind a little bit, the events actually happened as a, by, a byproduct of me wanting to film women's stories. And so I did start filming a lot of women's stories in different countries that I went to and then went to Hollywood and said, okay, I want to create this into a series and if you've ever tried to create a film project, it takes a very long time to bring that to fruition. And in doing so, started meeting all of these women, the events happened. Um, so I think that was something that wasn't even expected um, in trying to do the film pro- project and the events happening. Um, but to your, to your question about the difficulty of it, yeah, it's... Like you ever want to throw in the towel? Like, you know what? This just, I don't know. Yes. Yes. Uh, Many, many phone calls to, to mom. (laughs) Um, And so I was going to ask what, what got you through it? Was it, was it mom? Was it that, that encouragement? Like it it was like a whole combination of things. Um, It was a combination of having, being lucky to have support from family, but then also like building in all different um, something that, friends know about me is that I'm like constantly planning plan a plan b plan c and I have them running in parallel right because it takes long time a long time for things to come to fruition and so I'm often kind of planning out these different scenarios and so for example during that time I thought okay another way that I can channel some energy is I'm gonna I'm gonna join a running club right and I'm gonna start signing up for these different different um races to have that be something that I'm doing. I need a form of income. So I actually started working in the restaurant industry because I was spending so much time with chefs that I thought, okay, I need to educate myself a bit on back of house, front of house. What is the lingo? How do restaurants work? Because I was spending a lot of time with chefs to host these events. And so I went and worked at Justa, which I feel like is a, a darling Justa. of... Yeah, a darling of the Los Angeles food scene. <laughs> and it was such an education getting to know the front of house, the back of house, the owners, the, um, the person that is doing their wholesale, the person that's buying all of their vegetables and fruit from farmer's markets to understand how that ecosystem worked. Um, all the while continuing to work on creating the future of women events and building partnerships that would bulk up the events in a way that they were attractive for sponsors at the same time, exploring digital content for future of women, because we had people emailing in saying, I don't live in the city. I'm not able to join in person, but I'd love a way to tune in otherwise. So exploring, what does it look like in podcast form? What does it look like in TV show form? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had all of these different things running in parallel what does a book look like that is mm-hmm. talking about this type of content? Because I think what, what is unique about Future of Women is there are lots of different organizations that look at women's stories, but what I think like I'm uniquely positioned to bring to the table is like a really global perspective on that using mm-hmm. my background. Um, okay. And so I was kept thinking about how, okay, how can we make these stories accessible to a broad, like a, a global audience? 
Yeah. And I, I want to kind of bring back something you said that I think is super, super important when you are going down any path and you want to, you want to bring it to fruition is you said, I was very clear on what I wanted. I was very clear on what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, if we don't take the time to sit with ourselves and, and find some clarity around the thing it is that we're going towards, um, it, it acts as, you know, a barrier to us. And it, it almost like kind of takes so much more effort and so much more perseverance and, and, um, all the things to make it through or make it to that goal. If mm -hmm. it's not clear, you know, it's kind of like having a roadmap, let's get there. Um, cause when you have the clarity, you can build that roadmap. If you don't have the clarity, you're just kind of, you're grabbing at straws, you're doing the things and that can really wear on, on your grit, you know? And, and to that, to that point as well, like, do you, do you feel like that is, um, a scalable situation? We believe that it's very scalable and that once developed and learned, you can, you can, you know, do little, little exercises or um, meditations or whatever it is to kind of cultivate that? Do you, have you done anything that, you know, kind of helps you um, with, you know, your practice or, or with your company or continuing on when you did in those two and a half years? When I went to New York, I think I was very creatively frustrated. Mm -hmm. I was very good at helping friends build their businesses but it was very hard for me to do it to my, for myself. And that was very frustrating. And, and a book that I came across um, was The Artist's Way. Mm, I love and that book. I would recommend okay. it to anyone. Um, for those who are not familiar with it, it is a book from years ago that is, is basically like a workbook um, to rediscover your creativity and there are 12, 12 chapters. You read a chapter per week and it gives you different exercises each week, but two activities that it gives you from day one that you're supposed to carry through, through the entire process is morning pages. The idea that you wake up every morning and you write three pages, stream of consciousness. Even if you have nothing to write, write, I have nothing to write and keep going. Um, and Girl, I have notebooks and notebooks of morning pages, mm -hmm. just, da, 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 you know, never read them again, just getting it all out. It's kind of like a big brain dump. Anyone should do it. Even if you don't read the book, do it. It's so, it's so cathartic. It's so cathartic because even the moment that you finish, if someone asked me, okay, what did you write about? I probably couldn't even tell them, but you do, you do feel lighter. And so that I started doing morning pages and the other activity that it gives you is artist dates. And so New York was a great place to be doing that. Um, the idea being that once a week, you're going to take yourself on an artist date, whether that's going to see a movie, going to a museum, going for a walk in the park, making time to do something by yourself. Others are not invited <laughs> by yourself. Nope. That sparks your creativity in some way. Yeah, I love those. And you're right, New York would be a fantastic place to do that. Um, now that you've come to this place where, you know, your brand is is thriving and, and beautiful and blossomed, like what do you still struggle with personally or professionally? Mm -hmm. 
It's, um, it's really hard to build something from nothing. Um, even if you're very clear on what you want to build. Um, and even if you, the idea is so compelling that you have all of these other people on board, there's a lot of work to be done that is not glamorous, where you'll spend your day doing accounting, doing legal, then doing like the actual work of producing an event or producing a podcast or pr producing film content. And it's just a lot of hats to wear. I remember one time I got an email from someone and they said, hi, like we'd like to speak to the Los, Los Angeles Future Woman office. And I thought, <laughs> speaking, <laughs> let me transfer you. I love that. Um, and so you, you wear a lot of hats for a very long time. And I think it can be, well, let me pause and say, I I'm, feel very privileged that I get to do this. It's a luxury to be able to pursue a creative endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, that said, day to day, it's a, it's a lonely process. And mm -hmm. I think that goes back to finding your peers that are like-minded, that can recognize the same challenges that of what you're going through with things that they've gone through and you guys can support each other through it. Um, almost to the point that you're like crowdsourcing solutions um, as you go. Like a community, as a community should, you know, that's, that's beautiful. Um, what, and I know you've, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what, if you could go back to your, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old self, when you're like, I really want to get into economics, you know, which, which actually brought you to a beautiful, on a beautiful path to where you are now, what advice would you give that young, impressionable woman who is about to just take off into the world? So two thirds of kids today are going to, going to go into industries that do not exist yet. And so if you are interested in something, I recommend that you pursue it because for all you know, it will exist in the future and you have the foresight to see something that doesn't exist yet. Um, and I think for a long time, I, was, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. It was scared to pursue it because it didn't fit this cookie cutter Mm -hmm. like landscaped that landscape that I saw. Um, so I would say for people to follow their curiosity. And I think that's um, in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. That's something that she talks a lot about is she says, I think passion can be a very dangerous thing. It's this very intense fleeting emotion, but curiosity is a much kinder cousin mm. where you can kind of dip into something new and like pivot as you go. Um, and so I would say follow curiosity. The other thing that I would say is there's actually strength in being somebody that dips your toe in different industries because you're able to connect these industries. Mm -hmm. um, because I think industries become, have such tunnel vision that, that they, it would be more beneficial for them to work cross-sectorially than to stay in their own lane, yeah, but they often don't know how. Totally. It's, it's industries and it's also society. We're getting this message from a young age, you know, to kind of follow a path and stay on it. Um, whereas, you know, similarly to you, myself, you know, and plenty of people out there, you know, we've changed career paths quite a few times. And in that we've snowballed this incredible um, experience from different industries. And we've, you know, we've kind of 
picked up this, these different tools um, from different, um, different places in our lives and different professions. And, and it's, you know, it's acted as this, um, you know, this kind of magical element to bring it all together. Um, well, actually something that during COVID that I started doing is for the past few months, I've actually been advising the World Bank's education team on how to share what the knowledge that they are creating, things that they're learning during this time. Because I think having been at the institution for years, they're in a very unique position where they're talking to every government in the world every mm-hmm. day. The only other organization that's like that is the UN. And so at a time when 1.5 billion kids are out of school, I think people are very open to hearing what's happening in different countries and mm-hmm. what is working and what isn't working. Yeah, and let's so see past, some best practices. And you're, exactly. you're, you're advising policymakers or... Exactly. So learning what I learned and I'm continuing to learn at Future of Women around how to tell stories and how to to um, communicate that through social media, through, through editorial. I've been over the past few months using that knowledge to help their team share what they're learning on the education front. Mm, that's amazing. Incredible. And what, you know, what a, a way to give back during this time, you know, that's pretty incredible. Um, if you were looking back on your entire life, even even in that uh, moment where, you, you know, you kind of left, you, I, I like how you put it, I blew my life up, you know, fire <laughs> of 2012. Um, do you, like, what would you say is your, or did you make any, like, really big mistakes or lessons learned that you turned them into? Yes. So I think, I think when if I rewind to that period when I blew my life up, I would do things differently now. I think I, I, um, rather than having conversations, and this comes with maturity, rather than having conversations earlier, maybe parting ways earlier, you let it go a bit longer. And that was because, oh, I don't want to hurt this person's feeling or hurt that person's feeling. But in the end, the converse, rather than having those hard conversations early, you have them a bit later. And Mm -hmm. I think something that I've learned is, and and do now is I'm very transparent with people. I call out things that aren't working like early and quickly because, Mm -hmm. because we each deserve that. Um, And it's, it's, I mean, similarly connected to, you know, fail fast, fail often and just be like super, um, I don't know, you probably follow Ray Dalio because you're in kind of in that world, but he talks about (laughs) radical transparency and radical honesty. And it's just what a way to live, you know? You kind of cut through all the bullshit and you just, well, this is what I want. This is where I'm going, have those conversations. But sometimes to your point, having them at at a time that that will benefit both you and the party involved, you know, when it's the right time as well. And yeah, that's, I love that. Um, Also, I just want to, I just want to know of all the women in all the world or even, you know, past or present, who, who is one of your most favorite gritty girls of all time ever and why? 
I feel like that's not like somebody asking me, what's your favorite meal? (laughs) (laughs) And and I I can't pick one because, because I learned things from, from all of them. If I think, um, I think in the past there are trailblazers that, that I've learned from. And if I think even in my present community, there are women that I take advice from that advise me on digital content that I'm working on, that advise me on, the food world that teach me like life lessons. Um, And I think some of those are people who are both people I grew up with to people who have become public figures. Like there's the whole spectrum. Um, So I I can't pick what just one, Um, but, and I, I think that's something that I would tell younger people is to surround, again, this idea of community, like surround yourself with a lot of different people where they are your go-to for solving for X. And this is your go-to person for solving for Y. Um, Totally. Totally. I love that. Um, I think, you know, I think the lesson here with, with our conversation with you is to not be afraid to go and ask for what you want, even in the pouring rain, um, even when they've already said no, you know, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's a pretty, uh, you know, phenomenal way to be. And I think especially something to lean on when you, when you have that youth as well to kind of back yourself with, um, well, Ms. Hallie, I know you also have a, a podcast coming out. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> when, when does it, um, come out or launch? So it's, it's, I've been kind of slowly, slowly introducing it to the world. Um, basically, I had started when COVID started. I had started having all of these conversations with women in different places, from from an astronaut to a chef to um, uh, actresses to all these different women around the world. And I feel so fortunate to have those conversations and want to share them more broadly. And so I thought, okay, this is a great time to learn a new medium and to experiment with podcasting. So it's fun, isn't it? Stay tuned. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I'm a big consumer of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of nice to get on the other side and, and see, you know, what's kind of going on. It is. And at the very least, it gives you so much respect for all the nuts and bolts that go into it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is. There's so much more that goes into it than you even realize. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it. And it's, it's such a fun new learning curve that I'm on this ride, um, as I'm sure you are too. Um, so I, I want to make you this commitment and you don't have to do the same, but I want to say I will start a compost Mm. when we first met, you know, bring it back and, and possibly a little, uh, you know, miniature veggie garden, but definitely a compost. I'll start it. Okay. Uh, Yes. For updates. I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) Let's do it. When we're not podcasting, we're growing tomatoes. That's what's happening. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Hallie. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. This has been Gritty Girls, the podcast you come to for your dose of badassery and inspiration from some of the most influential, accomplished women on the planet. Please subscribe today. I would super appreciate it. I'm Jillian Christie. This is Gritty Girls, and we'll see you next time.